forever. Dog. Just between us. Hey. Just between us. Hey. Hello, I'm Allison Raskin. I'm a writer, mental health advocate. I love to get my nails done. <laughs> hey, I'm Gabe Dunn. I'm a writer, bicon, bisexual icon, wink, and dwarf level seven. We don't know what that means. No, not yet. <laughs> not yet. I love your nail colors. Thank you. Uh, I think the one I have right now is maybe one of my favorites of all time, which it's is nice. thrilling. Because I'd say, I'd say. 60% of the time I get a color and I go, damn it. What? Like I mess up the color. I don't, I'm not happy. I'm not happy with it. Now, do you think this is the problem of big polish? <laughs> making <laughs> making the nail polish look different on the um, oh, bottle than it looks on? Yeah. And then there's also a lot. I get powder dip as a base for my nails. And then I get gel color on top. And a lot of times the gel color isn't the same as the regular color for the same one. So I'll get the gel on my fingers and then the regular polish on my toes. But they to look totally different. I am so glad that I don't have to do this anymore. And that's not to say like I, I'm choosing not to do it anymore because my dad gets manicures. So like, you know, whatever. But the amount to which I used to deal with the social anxiety of going into the nail salon, of paying, of tipping, of like dealing with the discomfort of sitting there. I hate getting my nails done. I eliminated done. it from my life. Yeah, I don't it's like a hack. going. Life hack. Yeah. I, it's very uncomfortable to go. Uh, I find it to be contaminated. Oh, I babe. don't enjoy it. And then also I will start to panic if they put me in a seat, but then nobody starts to do work on me. Yeah. Like, and then I have no sense of like how long I'm going to be there or when someone will come to work on me. And then I'm afraid that a new customer will come in and they'll work on them instead. And it's like, for whatever reason, it is like I, I can't get my anxious thoughts under control when I'm at a nail salon. Any sort of beauty situation, I'm I feel out of control because someone else's job is to do a thing to me. And then this is probably mental illness. But I'm like, I I can't. How long is it going to take to do my makeup? How long is it going to take to do my hair? I'm stuck here. I'm trapped until yes, this process yes, is finished. Totally. How long is it going to take to wax me? I can't leave in the middle if I want to. Right. It's a psychological torture. I, I've had many of a near breakdown out of a nail salon. Right. Or if they're doing your hair and then you're like, OK, so they have to be done by now. And then they're like, no, let's put it through the thing one more time. I simply will run into traffic. I finally have found a woman where like I can handle being with her for hours and hours when she does my hair because oh. now that I dye my hair, you know, I'm there for a long time and um, I really enjoy her. And and also like when when the, the color is setting, she like tends to leave to go take a phone call so I don't have to talk all time. It's really lovely. She's wonderful. This is like um when I get tattoos. I have this guy, Tender Brussels Sprouts, shout out who does tattoos uh, for me and who's done a bunch of my tattoos. And when I came in the first time, he it was like, you know, tattoos are like four or five hours, depending on what he's doing. And he was like, um, so do you want to talk or no? And I was like, oh, honestly, no. <laughs> and he was like, okay. We just sat there for five hours silently. And then every time it's like slightly quiet. Like now I'm learning little bits about him. I was like at the end of the last one, I was like paid him. And then I was like meditative as always. Yours take four to five hours. Well, there's like, look at all the color. Look at all the detail. Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes it'll take like four, four 
four or five hours. Well, my one tattoo took 30 seconds and then like six minutes and then an hour and a half. Well, but look at what I'm getting. I'm getting like massive color pieces. Anyway, this is just between us, a variety show filled with heartfelt advice. Ridiculous games. And brutal honesty. Shout out to Tender Brussels Sprout and to Derek Webb and to uh, Three Kings Tattoo, who've done a lot of my tats. Love you guys. We've got a great show for everyone today. We're going to be talking to Eric Silver all about tabletop RPGs and D&D and in-hobby scandal, which is my absolute favorite. And later we will be discussing what makes someone an expert, um, which will be a lively, a lively conversation. I, I probably have very low standards on expertise. <laughs> but that's interesting. I want to know. But first, we have got to answer a listener's question. And you know what that means? Hit it! International question! International question! International question! Jerry, Italy. Ooh, ciao bella. Well, we'll see. Dear Allison and Gabe, and also Melissa, if she feels moved to contribute. Hey. Hi, how are y'all doing today? I hope your insert day of week, This Is Red, is going great. Friday. I'm Jerry from Italy. Thank you so much for answering my question. I've been listening to the podcast since it was a channel of short sketches on YouTube. Glad y'all have found a way to collaborate that works better for you now. So here's the sitch. I'm a 22-year-old cis man with ADHD that causes strong bouts of depression. Daily life is truly a roller coaster. I've recently graduated from undergrad and I'm currently working on building systems that allow me to have many more good days than bad. I may be exploring new medication as well. I struggle primarily with things like making sure I eat while my dopamine and norepinephrine have stronger priorities that give me a more present reward. Mm. Which brings me to my question. This question has a present application with deeper underlying issues. I've had one real long-term relationship and a few other smaller ones. A theme that I've noticed is that I tend to become very obsessed with my romantic partners to an extent that I might consider maladaptive. I know some of this is just normal for the beginning of a relationship and it will pass with time, but I worry that romantic connection interacts with my neurological biology in threatening ways. I worry about the depth of feeling I have and how easy it is for me to put spending time with my partner over all things in my life. I have a crush at present, we'll get there in a moment, and I feel as though thoughts about him have become intrusive. They come up frequently and invade my brain. Although they're pleasant thoughts, they're rewarding me with positive neurotransmitters for doing nothing but thinking and pushing me away from things I need, like food. Now, here's my question, actually. Obviously, I don't think it's realistic to keep myself away from all romantic feelings or even more importantly, to not allow myself to pursue romantic relationships. Mm -hmm. But I'm worried that whenever a relationship I'm in, I'll become so consumed by the person that I'm with and how it feels to be with them that I'll neglect my other goals and literal base needs. Mm -hmm. Obviously, if they're a good partner, they'll help out with that. But that's not a burden I want to put on anybody else long term. What can I do about this? As for how that's relevant in my current life, I have a strong crush on a longtime friend of mine. It's sort of ideal for me to fall in love with a friend because I first and foremost want to be friends with my partner. But I'm worried that this crush is one that's formed because my brain desires this kind of intimate connection and because it's a dopamine shortcut. I also bring that up because I have formed this sort of obsessive crushing feeling with a number of my non-straight male friends. How probable do you think that is? Does it matter? Am I being silly? I sure that I am in more than one way. Ah, well. Love you all in the pod. Thank you for being a weekly source of joy in my life and the life of many others across the world. Also, I'm not actually from Italy, but I thought making my subject international might make this question more enticing. Tee hee, you all rock. 
Wow, I was fooled. There were a lot of y'alls for someone from Italy. I was really fooled. (laughs) Okay, one thing I want to say is I don't think you're being silly. I think what you're describing is codependency. And that is a real, a real thing. Two, I like what you said about how you don't think that this should be the burden of your partner to hold the boundary. I completely agree. I'm so glad you said that. Um, Because when you started to say, oh, but ideally the person I'm with wouldn't let that happen. I was like, "Uh, no, it's not. You have to be doing this for yourself. You have to make it. You have to be making sure this relationship is healthy for yourself. You cannot rely on someone else to do that. So I'm so glad that you mentioned that. I think that this is codependency. Like I said, I think this is also I I tend to do this, right? Like I have depression. I have anxiety. I don't want to live in my own life. Like I'm happy to take a vacation into some someone else's existence. I really had to consciously be like, do not do their hobbies. Do not just do what they say is the best thing to do or the right thing to do. Don't if they if you like an item of clothing from their closet, do not get that item of clothing. Like I know it sounds extreme, but for I just know myself and for someone like me now in my life, I have to really purposefully delineate my own friends and my own things that I enjoy and my own aspects of my life and know that it's okay to spend time apart from that person, even though sometimes that gives me anxiety. Yeah. I mean, I was hesitant to say this thing that I'm going to say next and I could be so off the mark that I apologize. So I'm just saying this as a possibility, but I wonder if there is an element of you being so in touch with ADHD and how it works that you're almost over pathologizing yourself sometimes Mm -hmm. like you know like and and I totally get this as somebody who's also had mental health struggles like their whole life it's it's a constant thing of like oh is that my OCD like oh is that my anxiety and like sometimes it's just like you know you're in that normal realm of just like thinking about a person or you know fantasizing about something but because we do have these disorders it can feel like oh but am I you know is this going to lead to this bad outcome? And Mm -hmm. I totally get that fear. And so I think what we have to work with is sort of like, how do we set up some fail safes so that it feels safer to engage in a romantic relationship because you already have these things kind of set up to protect you. Yeah. And so what that looks like, I think potentially is like maybe getting to a place of, of having a routine with food that you already have in place Mm -hmm. before you start dating somebody seriously again, Mm -hmm. right? So making sure that like, you know, that that you have a three meal a day system that is set up, that you make sure that you kind of follow through with, that you work with, you know, your mental health professionals to achieve, to, if you are going on a new medication, to talk about the medication, to make sure it's the right fit for you, to like still really be attending to your mental health, you know, first and foremost. And then I think it also kind of comes down to what Gabe was saying, which is sort of having boundaries with yourself around these romantic relationships. So even if, you know, you do want to see this person seven days a week right from the beginning, you know that for you, it's better to have a set amount of days that you can see them in the week at the beginning of a relationship or to have a set amount of time that you can, you know, be texting with them throughout the day where you say, okay, but from you know, noon till five, I'm not going to, I'm not going to text with them so that I don't get used to being in constant communication Mm -hmm. and kind of having these guidelines. Even creating a reason. So, 
oh, sorry, from, you know, Wednesday nights I have, I, like before you even start dating someone, Wednesday nights I have my pottery class. So that you have a thing that you're like, I have to during the week go to this and we cannot spend that night together. Yeah. And like built and building out, like, like Gabe life. said, like a full life that so that like it's not really possible for this person to kind of take over everything for you. Mm-hmm. And just knowing that, like, you need to monitor like a bit more care with, you know, with your mental health, but also being like, there is like a honeymoon stage and not, not over pathologizing yourself at the same time, I think might be helpful. You know, I do think that making the transition from a friend to a love interest, like involves a lot of open communication and like directness and, you know, this person might already know this about you. Or just like, I think like having a crush on a friend can really allow for that kind of like obsessive thinking and Mm -hmm. fantasy because like, you know them. And so you're living in this fantasy world. And so I don't know if like having a direct conversation with this friend of like, hey, I would like to pursue a romantic relationship with How you, do you feel? yay or nay. Mm-hmm. And you can shut of, it down. Right. Instead of just staying in this crush zone, which I think really does feed itself to that kind of like obsessive ongoing like fantasy. Mm-hmm. Taking a look at when you are interested in someone, if that person is someone that you're actually interested in aspects of them or if it's a hyperfixation. Like sometimes people can become hyperfixations mm-hmm. and you don't actually want to date them. You're just hyperfixated. And so, right, maybe even just like sitting down and thinking about what about this person do I actually like? What and and is it based in reality? Is it like they would be a good X, Y, and Z versus like, oh, what I like about them is they're funny or something. And I think that there are times with our mental health where we're just not in a place to date. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. that doesn't mean that you have to say I will never date like my ADHD means that I will never be able to date. But you could very well be in a phase right now, especially if you're about to get on a new medication and, and you're still really struggling with like food and, and nourishing yourself. That like maybe you're just not ready, but like that can be a real goal for you. Like that can be a real motivator to sort of like get into a better headspace and routine so that you can feel like it's less scary, you know, to engage in dating with somebody. Right. And and that way that person can't come in and fix all your problems. Because I've definitely done that. I've definitely used dating someone to be like, great, now all my time's taken up. This mm. has fixed every problem. It does. <laughs> How'd that work out? Not good. It's not good. <laughs> and I, of course, I resent having a, a, a corporeal being. Like, I don't want to eat. I don't want to shower. I don't want to do the things. I so, always want to eat. Okay. Well, you're healthier than I am. Well, no, I think I want, I, I, I think about food all day long, all the time in okay. a way that I, I like, that's something you know I need I, to work you know on. What I anyway. like about us? We're, we're extremes. <laughs> yeah. One thing we are is extremes. But I, I think, you know, you're a smart cookie, Italian faker. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, where you are right now in this journey is not, not where you're going to end up. So um, I'm excited. I'm excited for you and, and what's to come. And if you want to submit an international question, you can send it to justbetweenuspod at gmail.com. That's just between us, P-O-D at gmail.com. Up next, we've got an exciting interview with our highly esteemed guest, Eric Silver. So stay tuned. Just between us. Welcome back to Just Between Us. It's time for the juiciest, most scandalous, most controversial segment known to all of podcasting. 
tough questions. This week on the show, we have Eric Silver, the head of creative at Multitude, an independent podcast collective and production studio in Brooklyn. Catch him every week on the actual play TTRPG show, Join the Party, the Games Advice podcast, Games and Feelings, and the upcoming Unhinged game show about your favorite things. Tell me about it. Hi. Hello. It is so nice to meet both of you and for me to talk about my favorite things, how to express yourself through tabletop RPGs and how to uh, maintain your rights while you're playing them, regardless of the corporations (laughs) that own them. Oh my God, nothing, there is nothing I love more than specific in-hobby drama. So, okay, but before we get to it, because we're yeah. going to get to it, before we get to it, can you explain what is a tabletop RPG? Yes, a tabletop RPG is kind of just like pretend with a little bit of rules on it <laughs> because we're adults <laughs> and we kind of just need a little bit of rules to put all this stuff together. Uh, you, For those of you who don't know what this is, you might know what an RPG is. A role-playing game, you know, video games, whether we're talking Fallout or or Elder Scrolls, Skyrim, or uh, Last of Us, or I guess Last of Us, you're playing an actual character. The point is, is that you're playing a role-playing game where you kind of like make a character and you inhabit this world that you're throwing, you get thrown into. Tabletop RPGs are something you don't do on the video games. You do it with your friends and you do it just at a table while you hang out. It's a lot of like, oh, I'm going to be this character and we're going to play in this story and we're going to have a lot of fun and then you look up and four hours have gone by. Yeah. Um, <laughs> y- you might know the game Dungeons and Dragons. You might have heard of it if you like Stranger Things or Community or you've just been on the internet for the last 10 years. It's been come like a, it's become a massive, massive hobby for people and also a very large like media genre that's been popping up on digital spaces and podcasting and YouTube and streams. And it's really wonderful. Honestly, like there are so many different types of games, it's hard to categorize all of it. But uh, it's usually like one person who's the game master will lay out like a scenario for all of you to do. And using the rules of this game, uh, whether it's one page, like a one page thing you see on the like it's a one page PDF, or like a 200-page book, using those rules, you the players create their own characters to be, quote-unquote, the, um, I guess, like main characters or protagonists of the story and kind of play it out. There are a lot of different other types of games where you there's like no game master and you like build a world or you're like spirits. And there's, there's so many different <laughs> things, but the, the smallest way is like you're playing pretend using... Uh, using these game mechanics and usually some some shape of a die to kind of dictate the whims of fate of what uh, everything's doing. And it's it's a lot of fun. You know, when people like talk about like astrophysics or stuff that they like can't possibly comprehend, I yeah. don't comprehend what a video game is and I don't comprehend <laughs> what an RPG is. <laughs> like I just like, I've just like decided that like, that's just not like, I just like, that's something I just won't know. Like, okay. I just, like, can't, and I've, like, read about it. I've, like, seen things about it. And, and like, I'm just like, I don't get it. Oh, well. <laughs> it seems intimidating because it has such a long history, right? Like, you, and also, like, it's changed a lot where you hear, you heard about Dungeons & Dragons in the 80s, but it was, like, for literally, like, the lowest segment of society. So, like, you said that. It was it was portrayed in all media as like it's what losers do. Oh, like there it was, was literally a movie starring Tom Hanks where Tom Hanks played Dungeons and Dragons so much he thought he was in the story and then got lost in his own mind. And that was a real movie that came out. What was yeah. it called? 
Oh God, I can't remember what it was. It was based on like the the idea that you got possessed by demons when you played D&D in the 70s and 80s. Sure. And it was based on like a, a news story that was happening at the time. I cannot remember it, but it was a real thing that happened. Yeah, I mean, it was seen as like for men and for men who di- like didn't talk to women. Mm-hmm. And then it's so must be so strange now for people who played back then to see that it like some of the most popular podcasts and yeah. like the inclusion of all these different types of people and that it's like such a, a money making juggernaut now and it's come out of the basement and into the into the light. Yeah. I mean, like, you know, inherently tabletop RPGs are like folk games and folk storytelling. Like it's from the oral tradition of just telling a story and everyone doing it together and passing it around. And then the idea, the thing that got made in the 70s, it was actually based on like war games. So, you know, in like in a uh, movie usually about like where the Nazis won (laughs) in reality, and then we are looking at this, someone is like pushing a little figurine across like a battlefield. Like Mm -hmm. that's what Dungeons and Dragons was based on, those types of games. And they're like, hey, what if it was a fantasy game? And what if we only controlled one character instead of other ones? And Mm -hmm. And then it's changed to being this like, role-playing interactive thing and then the entire like genre has burst and so many people have been working on what a, what does a tabletop rpg mean to them and it's you know it's it's really interesting and i'm glad that it's creative gets, it, yeah it's incredibly creative and it's okay. like it's grown so much let me let me you jump in but let me explain this to allison because sure. I've played I've played Dungeons and Dragons twice now. I've just started. Oh, two whole times. Congratulations. Two whole times. Dave. I just started. I'm very I'm brand new. Um, which is why I was so excited to talk to you. Okay, so here's here's my layman's description to Allison, someone I've known for 10 years, to see if maybe she could get it. It's very, it's much simpler than you think. Someone who's the dungeon master mm-hmm. creates a, a story and there's different things that could happen in that story, like a choose your own adventure. And then all the other people, like, pick a character. So you would create your own character, give them a name, give them powers, give them a personality. And then the dungeon master says, okay, you're all starting at this place and your mission is to get to here. You sometimes can do the voices or you can, like, interact with each other and have conversations in character. And then also... Uh, when when you roll the die, it's like if you get above or below is if you win. So if it's like we want to move, we want to walk forward and get to the forest. And then they say the dungeon master says, OK, roll the dice. And then you roll the dice. And if it's like below a certain number, then they say, oh, actually, you didn't you didn't make it to the forest. Oh, no. And if you go above, then they say <laughs> you did. So there's like different choose your own adventure kind of things. And now can you die? Yes. And then yeah. what happens? You just eat chips while your friends keep playing. If if you're playing a game where people die, you might have another character or you might pop up as your character's brother or a ghost and mm-hmm. avenging what's happening there. Yeah. What? Okay, I have another I have about 17 questions. So Okay. Great. Now, if you're the if you're the dungeon master. Yes. Are you prepping? Are you pre-prepped as you go in or are you making shit up on the on the on the fly? Incredible question. That is my job. I am the DM slash the dungeon master slash game master of join the party. Dungeon master is uh, you only use that term for D&D. Game master is kind of for every other game that you might play. There's a balance. If you over prepare, you will get upset if your players do things you don't expect. And that's the whole point, right? Is that like your players have full agency to do whatever they want. 
and participate in the story however they choose, depending on what the character of their whatever their character says. Mm-hmm. But if you don't prepare enough, you don't know what you're going to do and you have to do it on the fly. Some people do like that. I know plenty of GMs who kind of just like have a vibe and be or are very good improvisational people um, and are good at not only making up voices and motivations on the fly, but making up char- like game mechanics and systems on the fly and are very good at that. That maybe I would be incredible at this. Yes, it's hypothetical, <laughs> Allison. It's your game show. It's my game show. Yes. I could do this. It truly is. It's creativity. It's creating a story. It's like you would be a great dungeon master. Okay, now if I if I decided that I'm finally going to get my first hobby and, and do this, how do you begin? You like, can you jump to being a dungeon master? Or you have to be a player first. We honestly, honestly... People can jump into running games because I think that then you don't have the expectations of like what you're supposed to do. But I think you should play maybe once or twice first. So this is a really good question. How do you get people into tabletop RPGs? I do not start with Dungeons and Dragons. There are plenty of rules, light, and just more about like vibes and fun uh, games that are out there. Uh, for example, Grant Howitt, who is an incredible uh, game designer that you might see on, uh, who bumps around on Twitter a lot, has created a lot of one-page tabletop RPGs that are very popular. You might have heard of Honey Heist or Goat Crashers, where you either are bears heisting a, a honey convention or goats <laughs> trying to crash a party. And it's more just a, like about role-playing and then like, oh, you got to make, you got to like roll a die one time and that will tell you how your goat does. Um, So it's more about like understanding that you're melding both like game mechanics and like dice rolling with having fun and making, making pretend with your friends. Now I understand why bears would want to heist a honey convention, but why does a goat want to just go to a regular party? These goats want to party and it's not, it's usually galas and, or like New Year's (laughs) Eve. I played a game of goat crashers (laughs) run by my, run by my wife for join the party for uh, Amanda McLaughlin on join the party where we've done goat crashers twice. And once was the, was the Met Gala and one was New Year's Eve in Times Square. It was so funny. It was so funny. So this is where my brain starts to not understand. Like what what happens other than my goat wants to go to the party? Like so then there's some sort of conflict where it's like you need Correct. a ticket to get to the party. And so then how do you get I have the to ticket? go get the ticket from my mm-hmm. third grade teacher who wants a special gift for yes. the ticket. That kind of thing. Well, let's let's play this out, Gabe. I think <laughs> okay. that, that because understanding that the die is of rolling the dice is about like discrete actions. Like it's not like roll the die and then something bad happens. It's like, am I doing good? Does the whims of fate say that I'm good enough to do this? Mm-hmm. So right. let's just really quickly, really quickly, Gabe, if you were a goat, would you think you would be like a, a big strong goat? Or do you think you would be a cute small goat? Right. So it's not just your goat wants to go to the party. You have to give them a look and then give them their own motivation. So I think I would be a small, cute goat. Okay. So the small, cute goat, therefore, is not good at running things over. Let's say if we had a character, if you imagine you had a piece of paper, you would say like negative one, 
to physical skills, but mm-hmm. I would give you plus one to charisma or to cuteness, which would allow you to navigate social skills better. Right. So, boom. That's why Gabe's character, who is a small, tiny goat, is is different than your character or my character, or let's say, yeah, your character, which is a, a big, big goat, goat with big I horns. I don't want to be a big physical. goat. So your goat would be like, okay, my idea is to knock down the wall. Yeah, and I get it, but I wanted the cute goat, but that's fine. That's but true. If my, I, if my goat says, if my goat <laughs> says, but if my goat says, I'm going to try to knock down the wall, I might fail at right. that. And now yeah. here's another question. I, I have seen that people have little creatures, which is intriguing to me. Yeah. Now, would you have to have a little goat figurine to play this or this is all just in our heads? Another incredible question. You should be (laughs) a game master. This is incredible. Great question. So there are various ways you can play. Some people use uh, minis. It was a very big deal in earlier editions of Dungeons & Dragons. Again, remember these war games that these came from, how you were moving a cannon across a field which symbolized an entire battalion of cannons. Mm-hmm. You that's similar to how you might play your Dungeons and Dragons character, where you're using a physical mat to really make sure all of the like mechanics and the the all the rules make sense. They've done this very impeccably on Dimension Twenty, which is a video anthology of of different types of games of actual play games, and on Critical Role, which uh, is the most popular thing that's ever been created. It is mm-hmm. truly the most popular thing on Twitch uh, uh, by by financial standards. Which is another and that's very like you can watch people play. You can watch people play. That that's the genre we're talking about. Actual play. Actual play podcasts, actual play streams. Wait, so Critical Role is a type of game. and No, it's, it's the name of a show. Critical oh. Role is a very, very popular actual play show where they play Dungeons and Dragons on stream. Got you can it. Watch. Yeah, I didn't understand that the first yeah. time. Yeah. No, that's okay. That's okay. <laughs> so you and then Basically, they do a ton. They invest a lot. People invest a lot, a lot, a lot in these figurines and they move them to make sure that like, the mechanics and like the the rules match up with quote unquote reality. But, you know, people on podcasts play something called theater of the mind, which is it's all in your head. You kind of make it fungible and you make it work for what e- what might be tell the most story, even if like the numbers don't exactly make sense. Because you're hearing rather than seeing. Okay, and you can and you can do this with your friends too. Like whether it's the difference between like having a board or just having a a video call. You can just have a video call and have it all in your mind. And with this board now, is there is there like actual thing? Is it just your figurines, or you also like you would have the out you know the the layout of the party on the board as well? Yeah, it's that. Yes, it's it's that. It's the figurines and the enemy figurines and the people of the town and the town and mm-hmm. the cave where the dragon lives. And then it might be on different levels. So you got to build the levels in the cave as you go down. It gets very intricate. I don't do it because one, it uh, is so much money. And I spent all that money on like vintage uh, Nintendo 64 controllers sure. for myself. You, you got it. <laughs> that's like my, that's my thing. Um, but, you know, being, I play the majority of my stuff over podcast and over like just imagination so i'm so used to doing theater in the mind and are you buying these boards that pre-exist or you're building them from your own materials or both uh it's both there are hobby shops that have that carry these and there are companies that do it i want to shout out hero forge which is kind of like i don't know if you've seen these screenshots on on twitter or on instagram before but you can like create your own figure you want and then they'll 3d print it and paint <gasps> it for you if you want i have spent 
hours, hours and hours oh on Hero Forge. It is incredible. So you can make your own. But like also, you know, there's a corporation that owns Dungeons and Dragons. It's called Wizards of the Coast and they're owned by Hasbro. So they make like official branded Dungeons and Dragons stuff. But it's they want it the brand D&D and the game D&D to be synonymous. So they'll sell you like official stuff and you can buy them if that's what you want. If you want to buy like a special a good dwarf and then you get to paint them but like there is a yeah. but it, it it gets complicated and it racks up for sure that's also why i don't i don't do that yeah i, I really want to get into the the business side of it all but first can we just play a little bit of us as the goats yeah incredible yes i will do this right now so your character okay. i need i need uh, names for both of you for your goats and i'm the big goat i'm a big strong goat you are a big, strong goat. You have plus one to physical and you have minus one to cuteness. Okay. Oh, it's so hard for me. Okay. I will pick my name. My name will be Bucket. Good. Bucket. Incredible. Okay. My name is Pansy. Pansy. Bucket and Pansy. Incredible. Yeah. All right. Bucket and Pansy. You are stand. <laughs> this is so funny. All right. Well, let's see. What, what kind of party? Let's, what kind of party do you want to go to? We want to go to a film premiere. Film premiere. Incredible. Is this, do you know about Goncharov? Is this the premiere of Goncharov? They're re-releasing it? I don't know what I that don't know is. what that is. Oh, my God. There's a thing on Tumblr that there's a lost Martin Scorsese movie that didn't exist that they've all generated together. Never mind. <laughs> okay, we're going to that. I want to go to the remake of a Freaky Friday with Jamie Lee Curtis and Lindsay Lohan. And they just remade that same movie. Or no, the, a sequel. A sequel. A okay, sequel Freaky, Freaky Friday, Friday 2. With the original cast. With the original cast. Yeah, Freaky Next Friday with all yes. with Jamie Lee Curtis and Lindsay Ice Lohan. Ice Cube's in it as well. Yeah, <laughs> Ice Cube's gotta be in it. Anya Taylor-Joy is Lindsay Lohan's daughter. Yeah, that makes sense. That makes total sense timeline-wise. Yeah, incredible. And so we're trying to go to that movie. Yeah. yeah. All right. And they so, don't want us there. No, they because you're goats. You've just shown <laughs> right. up. So, yeah. so this is it. I just want to point out, this is interesting, is that I have asked my players what they want, and now I they're saying, they're telling me what they want, and then I'm doing it. And that's really helpful for tabletop RPGs. Some game masters go in and say, you're going to do the story I want to do. And that mm. works for, like, actual play stuff when you're making art and when you're making media. But, like, it's really important to listen to your players and do it, and do what they want. Okay, uh, we are at the premiere of uh, free, uh, Freaky Next Friday. Uh, Ryan Seacrest is there doing a stand-up for, for NBC or for Fox. I guess he's doing for, do it for Fox. Mario Lopez is there. Maria Menounos is there. Wow. They're all there. There's wow. it's all oh, the best of the brightest are there. And they're in the crowd. Kind of why everyone is trying to get photos of Maria Menounos is Bucket and Pansy. <gasps> What are we wearing? I'll ask you. What are you wearing? I'm wearing velvet overalls. <laughs> okay. Let's go. Yeah. I'm wearing the head to toes red swarovski crystal outfit that Doja Cat was wearing to the Scaparelli show. Incredible. Yeah. It's so hard to put on with hooves. It's even harder than to put on. Oh my God. The super glue alone. It's everywhere. I'll never get it off. <laughs> <laughs> Incredible. All right. So the uh, Marina, Maria Menunos gets up and has a bullhorn and says, all right, folks, it's me, Maria Menunos from movie. You might recognize me. We're all going to go inside. Make sure that you have your ticket out or they won't let you in to the movie. 
like what I do, a movie, what you see before movies, me, Maria yes. Menudos. She went to my college. Really? That's incredible. Yeah. Maybe that's a way in for Pansy. Maybe Pansy knows where, maybe Pansy knows where, where Menudos. Okay, here's a great point. For something like that, for something that is is ambiguous or hard, this is when we would usually roll a die to figure out if you were good at something or not. So I have all right. my dice here because what I also spend all my money on is dice. And look at yeah. all the dice I have. So I'm going to shake Ooh, it. ASMR, ASMR. Yeah. So what I'm going to do, just, you know, we're not really playing Goat Crashers because I don't have it in front of me. But let's say because you have plus one to cuteness. Or let's yeah. say that you you are def- you're an affable per you're an affable goat pansy. I'm gonna roll yeah. this this D6, the six-sided die, to figure mm-hmm. out if you know Maria Menunos. Okay. Uh, and you would be doing this. If you had a die in your hand, you'd be I'd rolling. Roll this, it, right? Yeah. Okay. So I rolled a four plus one. And in my head, if the number that you're trying to hit is like is like is four because it's a little bit harder than average. You got it. You know Maria yes. Menudos. You and Maria Menudos, Pansy and Maria Menudos went to college. You went to college together. I want to yeah. I want to know somebody. Can I know Mario Lopez? You can know well, Mario Lopez. You have a negative one to cuteness, but oh, can damn. you explain to me, would Mario Lopez be attracted to your big strongness? Yeah, because he was he he played a wrestler on Saved by the Bell. So um, he would, you trained him. He would really appreciate that that I take a kind of aggressive physical approach to getting what I want. That's fair. <laughs> That's fair. All right. So now I'm rolling. I'll give you the plus one for your strength. Hell yes. I ro- hell yes. I rolled a six. Highest. Woo! You crit. You that is a critical hit. You you and Mario Lopez, but Bucket and Mario Lopez used to date. That's how close <gasps> y'all were. Wow. I left him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, with a critical so, hit, you definitely left him. You you came out looking better <laughs> out of this relationship. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so now we can say, okay, maybe we each try to schmooze our person. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Do you want to do this? Is this what we want to do again. for the remainder of the podcast? We can just keep going. <laughs> no, we'll stop here. But then it would be like, then we would roll the dice to see if like, I want to fight Mario Lopez and or wrestle Mario Lopez and the winner if if I win, I get a ticket from Mario Lopez. Like it would be like and, that. Yeah, and then Absolutely. you would roll the dice. Yeah. But then isn't it over? No, no. it's not over because then you'd be inside and you'd be trying to get a good seat in oh, ne- in Freaky Next Friday. Going. And right. maybe I want to get cast in the third Freaky Friday. Right. You right. have more things you want to do. Okay. Exactly. Yeah. Well, so each person. Sorry, I'm I'm trying to explain to Allison. So you, <laughs> no, you're fine. doing you're doing something as a, and you can correct me. You're doing something as a group, but then each person has their own individual motivation. So exactly. you're going because we both want to go to the premiere, but you're going because you want to get cast in the next movie, and I'm going because. Date I, Jamie Lee Curtis. To try to date Jamie Lee Curtis. Right. 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 So we're each, we're both trying to get in, but we each have our own motivations. God. Yeah. You can see, so the, the way we would probably write that on your character sheet, because, mm-hmm. you know, this would be, uh, some people call it different things, but we call it class is like your job, quote unquote, what you're good at, what you're not good at. If you have special powers, uh, that might be your class and, and the numbers like cuteness or, or or physicality. That's what we were writing down. But we would also write down like your goals, your motivations, people you care about that also might be important to to write down. And are we just writing that down just like willy nilly on a piece of paper from the printer or is yeah. it like go in a fancy book? 
Well, it would probably have a fancy book, you know, or you at least there is a character sheet. Like I would give you my players a character sheet to fill out before we played the game because your responsibility is to know yourself. My mm. responsibility is to do everything else. And how many people can play at once? Wonderful question. I have seen one uh, games you play by yourself. Uh, it's kind of more like a journaling game where you're it's where it's like a creative exercise where you play a tabletop RPG by yourself. I've seen like 10 player games that they've had with a, of D&D with a dungeon master. But I would say ideally it's one it's one game master and like three to five players. Okay. So about to blow your mind. I've done just two one-offs. Sure. And then my friend, I was talking to him and I was like, who's trying to get me into it? And I was like, well, how, what are the other games that you're playing in? And he was like, we've had one that's been going for like six years. Yeah. Yeah. The same game. Wow. There, There is something about different game systems that allow you to string these sessions together in campaigns and really tell these really long stories because, you know, they can go in so many different directions. Everything about tabletop role playing is actually just about cause and effect. The, first, the, the, the game master lays out the scenario. You do something and then I do something and then you do something and then I do something. And whether or not you did a good job or not is dictated by the dice, the whims of fate. And then you can just keep stringing that along for as long as you want, depending on the type of game you're playing. And you build relationships, you build friendships. We got like a bunch of snacks that sat down to do it. It was like four hours. It's yeah. It was like just a fun, it was like, you know, it, it, it could replace watching a movie or something. Like it's a game. Mm -hmm. Okay, I got to admit something about myself. I only like games where my turn is pretty frequent. Sure. And so my That's question fair. is like, if I'm in a D and D game and there's you know four players and one dungeon master, how much am I, Allison, doing, and how frequently? Allison, you're asking such good questions. You're getting those <laughs> such to the to the meat of this because I have like a games advice podcast, games and feelings, and we talk about this constantly about being like, you know, it's hard because you're telling a story regardless of whether right. or not you're recording it or not. And you don't want one player to become the main character. And, you know, people use tabletop RPGs to express themselves in various ways, whether they want to feel like they're winning at a story or expressing a trauma or, or dealing with gender identity or sexuality it happens all the time. So, like, people come to these to really inter interact with it. So you can, it's a shared game. So like obviously, but you do need to like give people the spotlight every once in a while and you all can't talk over each other. So mm -hmm. you do need to share on you do need to share some things on some level. So I like that, you know, yourself, though, that's really important. <laughs> like, because am I just like sitting around waiting for my turn for me to roll the dice for my next thing? Or we're all kind of coming up with things together and like spitballing and it's more collaborative. It's more the latter. It's definitely more the latter. But the majority of the time is it's a collaborative thing and you're doing stuff. You know, there is a thing in, in Dungeons and Dragons. You do something called rolling initiative, which is where you're automatically getting in a fight. And there's like a fight system, which is very much all right. It's your turn. And you spend a lot of time doing stuff. And then it's someone else's turn. And then you got to wait. And there's a lot of stuff. Uh, so that is I a problem like of some types of games. But Allison, it sounds like you want to play like more fun role-playing games where you'd be able to like just mess around instead of something that's crunchy. Yeah, I think I would only like it if I was the master. 
Well, also, That's what I'm learning about but also you can talk to each other. You can have side stuff. Like I wasn't confident enough to do a voice for my guy, but like my friend, my two friends were like, one was doing a voice, one was doing a voice. They were like having a whole back and forth, talking to each other and stuff. Oh, so you have act outs. Act outs, oh, yes. Oh, constantly, yes. That's, That's the role the whole playing, thing. yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. It's big no. act outs. So you would have, you would do the actual conversation between Bucket and Mario yeah. Lopez. Oh, for sure. Or yeah. with you. I'd be like, I'd be like, oh my, like, you know, I'd make up a voice. I'd be like, oh my God, Bucket. Like, no, you're the cute little one. I know, but I have a deep voice. Oh, okay. I'm like, oh my God, Bucket, you know Mario Lopez? Yeah. That's so crazy. You should go over there. Like we, it's like a whole act out. I'm a big goat, but I have this very high voice. And that's creativity. (laughs) And also like there are opportunities about putting, allowing each player to have their moment. I'd be like, I'd be like, let's flash back to Bucket breaking up with Mario Lopez. It's raining. It's 11 p.m. Mario Lopez has just come home from the bar. He, He has been singing at Marie's Crisis for four hours and his throat is sore. And Bucket is tired. And then of the it. game master, you would play Mario Lopez. Yeah, I'd be like, "Oh, Bucket, so sorry that I was, I couldn't, I forgot to text you. I'm so sorry about that." This is the last straw, Mario. Yeah, it's funny. I get too worried when you're out in the rain. <laughs> no, Bucket, you're the only thing going for me. I have to respect myself. I'll do anything, Bucket. I'll, I'll cook for you every night. Fine. Introduce me to Zach Morris. I knew you were only in it for Zach Morris. (laughs) Then you you flash forward and then it's like you meeting Mario Lopez again. And and he's like, how's Zach Morris? And then you're like, oh, we understand the history. Wow. This is so not at all what I thought that it was. Bucket, strange to see you with Pansy and not Zach Morris, the guy you love. Yeah, well, I met him and he was pretty rude. (laughs) See, you would be so good at this. Yeah, that's it. Just improv. I think, yeah, I think that a really good way for creative people to access it is that it's improv or Mm -hmm. a creative exercise. But I also like want people to also temper their expectations. I think with improv, people have the same thinking that that tabletop RPGs is only improv. They bring like the I want to get a laugh audience neediness Mm. to the game so you want to make you remember it's like we're doing something together instead of performing and trying to make it about you got it and you're building a whole character and a whole world that could go on for years and years Mm -hmm. wow this is wild stuff it's fun yeah we're gonna take a quick break but stick around and we're back Let's get to the controversy. Sure. Let's get to the capitalism of it all. Yeah. <laughs> what has been going on in terms of like the owner of, of DNG wanting to make it harder for like independent shows to, you know, make money off of and like and just mm-hmm. like do the games the way that like sort of has been happening in the ecosystem. My friend Leland described it to me as as if the NBA was trying to make people pay every time they played basketball. (laughs) (laughs) That's pretty close. Yeah. the, The funny thing about it is like I keep reaching for comparisons and nothing really makes the most sense. Uh, I think that that one's pretty good. I'm going to use that one because again, the NBA doesn't own basketball. Anyone can play basketball in their own time. They're only advising like this this particular group of basketball, which is the end their NBA games. 
So, and that's actually, that's actually super close. So what's happening with this is, like I said, Dungeons and Dragons is a game. It's been, uh, it was invented by Gary Gygax in the seventies and it was owned by a company called TSR, which he, he co-founded and it was out of like Wisconsin. It was out of Wisconsin. It was, it was wild times there. They made a lot of bad business decisions in the eighties and then they had to sell themselves and the game to Wizard of the Coast, which was a really up-and-coming game uh, game company that made Magic the Gathering. You might have heard of that They with the cards. Uh-huh. Big Magic the Gathering person in college. Yes. Oh, same, same, same. Absolutely. <laughs> so now, like, the game was owned by a company. After that, Hasbro, the very large corporation, bought Wizards of the Coast. And so now, like, we have... We have these these three delineations, Hasbro and Wizard of the Coast, and then the game does the dragons. Recently, with the fifth edition coming out, which came out like about well, uh, six, seven years ago, I'm estimating all this stuff just off the top of my head. The fifth edition came out and people loved it. It really drilled down on the things that more creative people liked or to get it out of the basement, as Gabe was talking about before which is like, it's a it's role-playing, interacting with each other. It's not a fight between the players and the dungeon master, which was the point of the game for so many of its earliest iterations. It was about te- coll- telling a collaborative story and really starting to, like, hem it down. I heard someone describe D&D as it used to be like a, a giant, untamed tree, and then it got turned into a beautiful, sleek canoe. Um, and that's what people thought fifth edition was, especially it lent itself to making media like podcasts, videos and streams. And that's been blowing up a lot. People have also been flocking to the game because of that, because people have been re- love actual play. I love it so much. And it's become a really wonderful haven for people to find people telling stories that are a little more organic than what we see in books, movies, TV, because it's like a bunch of creatives are coming together and telling a story, especially people who don't usually see their stories being told. There is a massive queer community and trans community around uh, Dungeons and Dragons because people get to tell their stories and work out stuff while they do, and they love seeing other people do it at a very high level. The problem is, though, a corporation owns Dungeons and Dragons, and as Michael Jordan said about sneakers, Republicans buy sneakers too, so, you know, Republicans buy Dungeons and Dragons books and go to D&D movies and all this stuff, and it's a constant, you know, need to make more money. Flash forward to where we are in January 2023. Dungeons and Dragons repeal. There's there's a lot of business stuff that I could get into of where this is coming from. But just remember that Hasbro and Wizard of the Coast constantly wants more money. Mm-hmm. And this fueled uh, changing the OGL, which is the open gaming license, which allowed third party creators, kind of just like people on the Internet doing this as an independent hobby or as a job. Uh, it, it allowed them to make like new classes, new adventures, new settings, all uh, items, all of the stuff that you could write up and allowing them to sell that and make money off of it and actually turn that into a career. Dungeons and Dragons decide, Wizard of the Coast decided that they didn't like that and they wanted a way more restrictive open gaming license because it would give them more money and more control over what other people were doing. Oh. And everyone thought that was bullshit and bad and money grubbing and ridiculous. So a massive, massive push has been went out to push back against it because someone leaked the open the open gaming license 1.1, which was going to be pushed out. Someone leaked it to the press. There's been some wonderful reporting from Lindo Codega 
over at Gizmodo, who has been on this beat and hitting it hard, just showing this whole thing. People have been rallying uh, rallying around this uh, hashtag open D&D to bring, to disallow what this was going to be, cha- what this is going to change. People unsubscribed from D&D Beyond, which was like a subscription service that D&D offered that was like to play games online to like have online boards and stuff. Um, And there was a massive, massive open letter that got like over 70,000 signatures that was pulled together by my friend uh, Mike Holick over at Mage Hand Press. And it's and a lot of folks who have been supporting it. And we've been talking about this a lot. And uh, I helped write it. And it was I'm so happy that so many people responded to it. Because of that, basically, Wizard of the Coast changed track And they kept saying, oh, we're not going to change too much. They kept taking things out and taking things out and finally communicating and putting on a a happy face. And today, actually, like two hours ago, they said that they're not going to publish a new OGL. They're going to keep the OGL, the open gaming license that has been going and people have been happy with since the beginning of fifth edition. Wow. Whoa. Activism. Yes. So the, I mean, and the point, and it sounds, maybe it would sound, you know, silly, but the point of that is to allow for creative freedom to people who would not normally be able to create things in a game that suit, that suit them. And that could, it would like jeopardize people's careers, basically. Yeah. The things that people want to make outside of the Wizards of the Coast office and think that they can do something that, you know, don't need corporate approval and still be able to sell it. It's important so that they can have this job as a digital content creator making right. uh, D&D stuff. It's important. Uh, the thing is, though, is that like Wizards of the Coast and the corporation that owns it still has like real centrist politics because they want as many people to buy it as possible. And they've constantly like had bad social policies. Uh, They've been uh, from the people, the queer folks and the trans folks and the people of color who play the game have been asking for many changes to the game. And it's incredibly slow. Very few changes have been made. There's also been constant like racist missteps and ridiculous stuff that have been happening in the in-between, you know, they own until recently, uh, they were selling uh, a an adventure called Oriental Adventures on their on their digital um, on their Uh-oh. digital store, which is you know it's been a carryover from a game that they played like a setting that they played in the eighties, but that's not something you should have now. And you know it's right. like these plenty of things like this have been popping up. So although that the corporation has been rebuffed during in this situation through collective action, you know we can't let. Hasbro and Wizard of the Coast off the hook, especially with that Dungeons and Dragons movie coming out. They're really trying to make a bunch of like IP and saying it's theirs. Like the corporation is trying to tell you that they own the story you tell in your house, but like they don't, they can't, it's impossible, but they want to convince you of that. So you'll spend money at their movies and buy their official um, toys and, and merch and uh, miniatures and books and stuff. Yeah. Okay, so like what what they provide is like the setup maybe for a game, but you're coming up with like the the characters and like what like happens move to move. Yeah, they have the right and they make the money off of publishing like official books. Like they get to publish the player's handbook, which teaches players how to play, the DM's manual, which kind of has a lot of the mechanics and the game mechanics in it to like t- get, give a DM everything that they need to know. 
Uh, and they also publish like more monster manuals, which gives you monsters that they came up in house and also some settings and adventures. So you, if you, instead of coming up with your own stuff, you want to play like their official stuff, uh, you can do that. However, that doesn't have, like you said, that doesn't have anything to do with the creative stuff, the stuff your players make or the stuff that you make up as a dungeon master or a game master. Um, mm-hmm. That doesn't have any, they don't, they don't, they can't own that. So they're trying to like monetize this four quadrant space. They uh, they said that like in an in like an official fireside chat to investors in December that Dungeons and Dragons was under monetized and they were trying to push into a four quadrant thing like it was Lord of the Rings uh, or Harry Potter. They specifically quoted, right. which is like really we're gonna do that. We're gonna quote that in 2023. Okay, that's that's interesting. <laughs> and also, you can't. I mean, people still are still writing Harry Potter fan fiction, and people make things off of Harry, like Harry Potter musical or the puppet show. Like people make things off of other things all the time. Yeah, it's kind of complicated to me because as someone who, I mean, I'm a real pop culture person, also a video game person. Like, Nintendo is incredibly stringent about people who make Mario things and Zelda things, right? Because they own this character and this series that they make there. But it's like, there's no Mario for Dungeons and Dragons. Right. Because it's a, it is a genre pastiche. It is just the fantasy genre. And, like, you can't own a genre, especially yes. because a lot of the stuff that they took came from uh, Lord of the Rings in the first place. There was there is <laughs> a a lawsuit where the Tolkien estate told D&D to stop using some words that that were specifically like of the fantasy genre. So, like, you can't own that. And yeah. they, it, it's this whole like uh, miasma that they're of that they're trying to like convince us that they're, they're selling the, the fantasy genre back to us. And we don't have to stand for that. Well, I would like to try to sell you the world of hypotheticals. Yes, you'll probably be good at this because this is (laughs) Allison's whole thing. And it also has to do with improv. Hell yeah. So hypotheticals is a game where you and gamer my contestants. I'm going to give you a series of hypothetical situations. You can ask any clarifying questions you might have. And then you tell me what you would do in that situation. And then I decide if I like your answer or if there's a winner. Hell yeah. Okay, okay. Now you can see why I'm used to being the the game master. <laughs> I'm just like, all of a sudden you're like, hey, person, hey, Shaquille O'Neal, do you think you could dunk? And uh, he's like, I don't know. I think I could try. So I'm really <laughs> excited for this. This, this is fun. <laughs> okay. Our first game is America's favorite game show. Would you stay with this cheater? <laughs> you find out that your partner of 18 years was visited by the ghost of their high school sweetheart. Oh, my God. And they had ghost sex with them because it was an incredible opportunity. Would you stay with this cheater? How did the ex die? Uh, The ex died while on a cruise ship. They were the only one that died. What happened was they, they took too much Tylenol. And well, they just ha- and they just happened to be on a cruise ship. And they that's just like tragic. fell. They just like fell off the cruise ship. Like didn't hit. No, no, they died there. in their bed. It was kind oh. of <laughs> inconsequential that they were on a cruise ship. Oh, okay. <laughs> was your partner? Were they fully aware that they were awake and not that it was a dream? Yes, they knew they were awake. Yeah. Oh. Okay. What was their relationship with the ex before the ex died? When did the ex die? The ex died while they were dating, which and, makes oh. things more complicated. And what? I, I'd stay. I get it. That's so sad. I understand. 
babe, that I need you. To, I need you to have that closure. I'm fine with it. Would you be okay with the ghost sort of? Well, you're polyamorous. This game's always hard with no, you. No, 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 no. But <laughs> I understand. I understand the problem. But I also think no. I think this one time thing for closure, great. Continuous sex with the ghost, no. At that point, I'm the fool. <laughs> what do you think? I, I would leave them. I think that if they're aware of it, it's still cheating. And like, wow, if you're gonna come, stringent. if you're gonna come up to me, if I ask them what happened, and they said, "Oh, it was a great opportunity," I'd be like, "Get <laughs> absolutely fucked. No, thank you." <laughs> Your response? I'm like, "No, actually, you're not the man I married. I hate you." All right, that's fair enough. Yeah, I think that the way that they phrased it really is hurtful. Yeah, agreed. <laughs> Okay, our next game, are you a terrible parent? Your child, nine, gets sent home from school for giving a frenemy a wet willy. As a punishment, you wake them up every day for a week with a wet finger in their ear, which means they wake up screaming. But they also learn an important lesson about respecting other people's bodily autonomy. Are you... A terrible parent. This feels like a real Dear Prudence question. Like, I'm seeing this on (laughs) Slate.com. You think that parents have woken their kids up with a wet willy as punishment? I think you're a good parent. And why? They should. They should if they're not. Because I think teaching a child bodily autonomy is like number two on the list of most important things you should teach them. But teaching it by disrespecting theirs? Yeah, that's what I agree. How long are you doing it for? One week. You wake them up with a wet willy every morning. Okay, then that's enough for them to learn. And then I never do it again? (laughs) No. Okay, that's enough for them to learn. Nine is a very good time to really lay down the law on bodily autonomy. I do not think a week of invading their privacy while sleeping is is enough. I I think you're a bad parent. (laughs) I guess because they would probably like anytime I'd be like, honey, time to wake up. They'd be like, ah! Yeah, Yeah. well, each morning that you do it, they wake up screaming. Right, right, right. And then how would they trust that I wouldn't do that again? Right. That's fair. You know, I assume, and I'm not a parent, but I assume that you start putting bodily autonomy, like, talks, even like when they're, as soon as they're old enough to understand language. But I think that Mm. nine is still within the realm of like not being super good at it and having a code. (laughs) So I think that like trying to continue, trying to like not ruin that immediately is wild. Gabe, I'm seeing you on Am I the Asshole right now with this day, with this day. It's so wild. Like the people out there just want to say, hey, I'm a good parent, right? I put my, I wet willied my kid while they were sleeping seven times in a row. (laughs) I'm thinking of, there's this really adorable video that was going around that was like this little girl and she's singing this Boundaries song that Mm -hmm. I guess they're teaching children now that's really popular. That's like, no, stop. I do not like that. It's nothing. Don't take it personally. It's just a boundary. <laughs> and it's like so cute. And so I think I would just teach that to my child. Instead sure. of putting a wet finger in their ear. Yeah. All right. So you changed your answer. Yeah. I've, I'm going to find that TikTok of that little girl singing that song. And then I'm going to wake them up every morning with that song. <laughs> Okay, so still an element of torture. G- Gabe has gone back into their Reddit post and say, edit, wow, read a lot of comments. I'm actually going to reconsider what I'm doing, re-wet-willying my child. Yeah. My almost, <laughs> I, my, I think I am the personification of the edit at the bottom of a Reddit post. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I see what you guys are saying. Get out of my mail. Get out of my I mail, please. I get it. 
Yeah. Okay, our final game. Would you forgive this liar? You run an imprint at a major book publisher. Great job. You are in need <laughs> You are in need of a new assistant and hire someone you believe to be 26 only to find out two years later that they are actually 45 and fudge their resume to hide the 10 years they didn't have a job because they were raising their secret daughter. They are still a good at being an assistant, though. Would you forgive this liar? A hundred percent. I would forgive this liar. If they're keeping it tight like that, all power to them for pulling it over me and being that I believe they were 26. A hundred percent. Also, they're not doing anything wrong. How, yeah, think about all the wrong? worst things. Think about all the bad things that happen in offices that people do to us. <laughs> yeah. This is not I, hurtful. I love that nobody has called me out on this being the exact plot of Younger. <laughs> <laughs> Melissa knew that. Melissa knew that. Wow. I thought I was going to get cut off midway, but no, I just cruised right through it. Well, we're not the audience for younger, maybe. Like, oftentimes I'll be like, that's Seinfeld. But, like, I don't... Yeah, I I think if you can get one over on uh, someone who's your boss, more power to you. But wouldn't it freak you out to know that they've, like, been pretending to be, like so like 20 years younger than they really are and they like have been dressing young and like going out with the other young assistants no, and I having a whole life no i love it for them okay so the whole premise of that show i guess was bullshit it's bullshit because is the boss debbie Mazer that actress oh i'm think. hold on wait i was just looking it up to remind right? me i love was, her yes this is, it, is debbie is Mazer. yes it's debbie Mazer, sutton foster and uh and duff, lizzie mcguire right? herself hillary duff yeah okay right. debbie Mazer. I don't know if she's a gay icon, but to me, she's a gay icon. And I and I think um, if you can pull one over on Debbie Mazur, you deserve everything you get. She's not the boss. She's the best friend. Oh, well, she's, she's my in, best friend. She's in on the thing the whole time. Okay, well, that and that's the Debbie Mazur I know. <laughs> so, we, okay, here's the question, though. So we forgive them as the boss, right? But what if you're what if you're like the best friend, like you're the other assistant and you find out that they've been lying to you about their whole life and that they're really much older than you? And they have a daughter and they that they kept from you. I would. That sucks as a friend. As a friend. We don't yeah, like it. That sucks as a friend. But if but if it's anything you can do to get a job, I'm like, OK. Yeah. And it doesn't hurt me. Like, again, think about the various uh, mandatory fun meetings that we're forced to do. <laughs> at work the various the various like activities that we have to do and people putting their weird shit on their coworkers. like no one's trying to hurt me unless this is like a devil wears prada situation where feeling like a young ingenue like andy was going to like get a leg up on um emily and what was her what was her name oh emily blunt emily blunt i i said yeah. i said blount like james blount and i'm like who is that i don't know who the, like that's the you emily beautiful blount guy and james blount you're beautiful yeah exactly. and i am going to paris fashion week exactly okay. <laughs> like if, if that what if be, being younger was to get a leg up on me that would be messed up but if it's just okay. to get in the door then i that's okay but think about you you did have hours of conversations about what it would be like to be a mother and if either of you should have children or not and they did have a child oh that sucks that sucks oh. yeah mm. well oh, friendship's complicated under capitalism <laughs> <laughs> oh my 
my goodness. Well, thank you so much for joining us. I learned a lot. And where can people find everything that you're doing and follow you? Yeah, you're all great. Uh, this was so much fun. Allison, I hope that you get to play tabletop RPGs because you have taken it to like a fish in water. Incredible. And Gabe, I hope you get to play many <laughs> more games in the future. Thank you. Well, you can find me on Join the Party is the main show that I'm going to plug. Campaign three of Join the Party is out and rolling. We are doing a pirate themed campaign set in a fantasy world of bug and plant people. Think like One Piece meets Redwall and plants versus zombies all together. And we're, we're going back to Dungeons and Dragons. Um, but of course, like we're doing it in our own way because, you know, we're pirates. So I'm not paying for anything that D&D gives the, for D&D publishing. Uh, but it's, <laughs> it's it's awesome. And the first the episodes we've been re recording have been so much fun. If you like if you like actual play podcasts, Join the party. I think we do an incredible job. We have multiple campaigns. We did like a fantasy campaign first, a superhero modern campaign second, and we did a monster of the week game where we played like a, in a spooky summer camp kind of in the middle of, of 2022. So there's plenty of stories for you to jump on. And if you want to learn how to play D&D, we have a beginner's guide set in the podcast from the first from the first campaign. You can learn how oh, to play wow. while listening to the show. You can go to the first campaign. It's the the episode called Beginners Start Here, and you can learn how to play Dungeons and Dragons. Um, so look at Join the Party wherever you get your podcasts. And also you can find us at Join the Party Pod on Twitter and Instagram. And you can find me on Twitter at L underscore Silvero, E-L underscore S-I-L-V-E-R-O. My name, Eric Silver, if I was a Lucha Libre wrestler. <laughs> Beautiful. Thank, Thank you, you so, so much. much. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. Stick around after the break. We'll be talking all about what makes someone an expert. Just between us, it's time for topic. X X X X X X baby, baby. Woo! Oh, I went weird and grumbly, and you guys went high. Yeah. yeah. Well, we couldn't all go weird and grumbly. Uh huh. We gotta have you know a little bit of something for everybody. Balance for the universe. Wow. Yeah, this show is definitely a little something for everybody. <laughs> it is. It truly is. So let me explain my logic on why I picked this topic. Okay. So I recently hired, rehired our old publicist, Heidi, who's wonderful. Mm -hmm. And so one of the things that she's trying to help me do is sort of like get me more stuff in like the mental health space and in like the relationship space. And so she like puts me up for things as like a relationship expert. Sure. And so I've sort of had like this personal reckoning where I'm like, well, who am I to say that I'm a relationship expert? But then I also feel like all these people claim to be experts about all sorts of things. Mm -hmm. And I, I guess I just wanted a discussion on like, what, what do we think makes someone an expert? And, and is anyone even an expert of anything? Depends on the topic. Yeah. I think yeah. you are an expert because you've done research. Mm -hmm. Like if you were just like someone who's dated, you could still be an expert. But I just think for you, because you've written a book about it, because you've interviewed other people, I think it you become an expert when you've when you've researched something mm -hmm. in a very formal way. Yes. And Agreed. you've researched. You've done a lot of research. You've done pages and pages. You've interviewed. You've interviewed people. So many people. You've written a book. I've written two books. I was going to say, yeah. you've got another book yeah. coming. Like, you're you're an expert. Wow. 
But this is what when people say, oh, when I get like you're a money expert mm. or people put me forward as a money expert. I take issue with that because I've researched, but I'm like, I'm not a money expert right. because I can't give you, I don't feel I can give you advice on what to do with your money. I can just present you with the information. But with you, I can see you bumping a little on because people probably want you to give relationship advice. Which I do give, but it's also like, it just feels like a different thing to like present myself as an expert to these police, people like looking for expert sources. But how, here's the thing though. This is why I said it depends on the topic. Mm-hmm. How do you become a expert in relationships? Well, I would say someone who's like a couples therapist. And, ah. I, and I, mean, I am getting a graduate degree in psychology and I, and I think I will feel a little more confident using that terminology once I graduate this summer. Mm. But then even in my head, I'm like, well, I just have an MA. I'm not licensed. You know? But, but that, <laughs> that's a, a different kind of expertise, though, because there's like somebody like a, a marriage therapist is in a ther like they're an expert, but they're a therapist. There's a different type of mm. relationship thing that doesn't necessarily need a therapist attached. But I feel like for money, like, a financial advisor, like that's somebody yeah, that's I like need a an, degree. Yeah, like that's something you need a degree. You have education in the subject, or I just feel you, I need a degree. But you, like, you don't have education in that subject. No, but I've I do talk think to other people. You've I, talked to other people, but it's still not like. Well, I don't want to say that because I think there are money experts. Okay, so here's the thing: there's lived experience, mm-hmm. and then there's credentials. And I think there's some money experts, for example, people of color, queer money experts, whatever, who maybe have been pushed out of traditional ways in which they would be labeled experts, but they've done the research or they have the lived experience as like, I'm a black woman, here's how I spend money. I would give them more credence than like me giving advice without like a degree. That's just my, for me to myself. But like, if you're someone who's like queer and you want to hear money, like expertise or stocks or whatever from another queer person, then like, absolutely. And and based on their experience or lived experience, or even like, you know, I don't know what the points guy's degree is, but he's certainly done a lot of lived experience around points. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I think that even like with you, you like gather experts to talk about. I gather experts. Yes. I'm not the expert. I'm an interviewer. I'm a journalist and I gather experts. Right. I guess that's what I would say about myself is I'm like a somewhat journalist. But isn't that what I do as well? But I guess I'm getting you're the in master's school degree. Too. Yeah. yeah. But it is interesting, right? And like, you know, even like when we get people for this show and people submit about certain topics, like trying to figure out like, are they an expert? Are they an expert mm-hmm. has been interesting. Like for some people, it's like, well, but are you, I'll be like, but are you licensed? But then I'll right. be like, but then why am I holding them to this thing when other people we have aren't licensed or what are their degree? Because I also yeah. think that there's an issue with like the access to education and access to higher education and, you know, graduate degrees and PhDs are so expensive and people need to like be in the workforce and, you know, but then like, but then also I'll still sometimes be like, but I don't feel like who are they to speak <laughs> What's subject. something what's something that you feel like you are an expert in? Me? Yeah, you. Sugar. No. Well, that's your dog. How dare you say no? I'm an I feel like an expert in my dog sugar. Yeah. I think <laughs> I am not even gonna take that seriously because I don't think that's true. You what? don't think I'm an expert that, in sugar? You're, you're an expert on I don't think you I think you love her. And but I, I'm very good at predicting what she wants and how she's feeling and um her needs. I don't find anything wrong with that answer. Thank you. Okay, I'm think I think that you are an expert on and this is going to sound like a read but it's not on heartbreak. 
Like you, if you were giving advice on, on, on anything relationship wise, like I feel like if you were giving advice on like empowering yourself after heartbreak, how to deal with heartbreak, what, you know, what sort of like is going on with you psychologically, emotionally, and like how to have better mental health around the possibility of heartbreak, whatever it is, like I would trust you immediately with that. Oh, thank you. Yeah. But so you don't think that I'm like being a grifter by no. presenting myself as a relationship no. expert? No. I mean, I give advice on this show. What the hell do I know? <laughs> I don't know anything. Yeah, but you're not going to be like in articles as like a relationship. Okay, you know but, what I mean? But you see what the difference is, though. Yeah. Like you've written two books about it. Yeah. Interviewed a ton of people where you've taken it in and then re- and like took the information uh-huh. and then put forth your own thoughts on it. Whereas when I give interviews about money, they say, oh, what's your... Inf- I just realizing this. They'll say, what what is your best idea of how to budget? And I don't, I say, actually, my best idea of how to budget is advice that comes from Tiffany Alice, the budget Nista. This is how she does it. I relay information from other people. Mm. So like, I don't, I never say like, well, this is the stock that I would choose. I say, you know, who is a great resource is building bread with, with Kevin Matthews. That's a great resource. Mm-hmm. If you want to learn about stocks, like I relay other people's who are like other people's expertise, not my own. Well, that's interesting. You say that because I have felt in writing my books and, in, in all the, the nonfiction I do and, and on my Substack. Like, I still feel scared to propose an idea that I haven't heard from someone else. Oh, you gotta. Like, I still feel like uh, sometimes I'll be like, oh, but like, how do I know that's true if this is something I thought of? But then I have this like conversation with myself like, but that's how ideas come about. That is. Somebody yeah. has to think of them. I think it's also probably because there is that life coach like scam oh, not yeah. scam but the, yeah. the life coach murkiness of it all mm-hmm. where like there are people out there who who take advantage and take money from people yeah and and like you know and so being in grad school with people who are getting like the proper credentials and I'm like but who am I to have an original thought in this field when I'm not blank but I think it's like a mental block that like I have to at a certain point be like, like you said, like enough lived experience and enough research and enough conversations around it, plus formal education that like, I think the next leap for me is feeling more comfortable formulating my like ideas that I, that I, that are not necessarily like directly backed up by Mm -hmm. someone I view as an expert. I also think, yes. And I also think there are people that do have this formal education and they use it in the wrong way. There's these people that are are licensed therapists Mm -hmm. and they are just become cult leaders or they like are abusive or, you know, like it's so down to the individual person's usage of that stuff and not, oh, do you have this license or don't you? And I think with having allowing for caveats, right, like of always, you know, there's a difference between like being an expert in like spiders where like what she knows is either true or not about the spider and how they work versus like. But also it's an evolving science, too. Yeah, she could be behind. But like they have eight legs. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, like honestly, remember when we did the thing about honeybees and people had different opinions? Yeah. So, yeah. But I think being able to like uh, always relay with the sense of like with a caveat mm-hmm. of like, you know, context matters, specific situations matter. No relationship advice that I'm going to give is going to be universally applicable to every single person. Yeah, and there's not like a concrete thing that's hard and fast or a fact for one thing mm-hmm. for advice. Like it's going to 
change depending on who you're talking to and what the situation is. Yeah. I was talking about this. So in terms of lived experience expertise, I had been, I came out as non-binary in July of 2021 and A week later, I got asked to come on the Sundance channel to do a panel about trans film. And it was like me and Hari Neff, who's a trans actress. And I was like, oh, I've been out for one week. I am not an expert. But like the assumption was, oh, because you're queer, because you're trans, you're a queer or a trans expert. Did I do the show? Absolutely. I love attention. But (laughs) but it was jarring to me to be asked to speak to the trans experience in film one week after coming out as non-binary. And I wonder if that shows like the the lack of representation, maybe, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. I also had like a great professor recently who was like, anyone who presents things as this, as if they know them for sure, don't trust them. That's, right. a, cult. That's a cult. That's a cult. Like, nothing is really certain. We're all just kind of doing the best that we can. Yeah. That's a cult. If you, if you do present it as you're the only one who has the only answer... That's an MLM. That's yeah. a cult. Especially with, again, like with relationship advice, there's not going to be a fact that is one thing. Mm-hmm. What are you an expert in, Melissa? General Hospital. Yes, very true. Yeah. Do they do soap opera trivia nights anywhere? Probably not. We should try to see if there's like TV trivia and then we should like make a team of experts. Like I know like gay stuff, you know, soap operas. We get someone who knows sport. You know what I mean? We like round out the group. What then? What the hell am I here for? I can do Friends. I can do Seinfeld. Yeah. I can do Desperate Housewives. Okay, great. Pretty good. All three shows I enjoy as well. Damn it. No, I'm not experts in it. I used to, I've dropped out of Desperate Housewives like the last season. Really? It keeps getting recommended to me after I watch a general <laughs> hospital. So I think I'll yeah, get in. It. Yeah. Do you, in terms of that, do you mean that you know everything that's happened on general hospital and the like, and the backstory drama and stuff about the actors and stuff like that? A little bit of everything. Yeah. That's why I'm like drag race. I'm like an expert drag race person. But I would never go and get interviewed as a drag expert. Right. I would never even go get interviewed as a drag race expert because I'm not a drag queen. So. Yeah. Even though I literally could tell you everything that happened in every episode. (laughs) (laughs) What do we rate this episode? I rate it 43 out of 40 rolls of the dice. I will rate it 81 out of 72 dopamine hits. I'll rate it 30 out of 20 Allison's bewildered but intrigued look during the RPG chat. That was so fun. (laughs) Oh, my God. Goats, 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 goats. Thank you so much to Eric Silver for being our guest. Just Between Us is a Forever Dog production hosted by me, Allison Raskin. And me, Gabe Dunn. Produced by Melissa Diamond-Montz. Edited by Coco Lorenz. Executive produced by Brett Boehm, Joe Cilio, and Alex Ramsey. Brendan Burns composed our killer theme music. To listen to this podcast ad-free, sign up for Forever Dog Plus at foreverdogpodcast.com slash plus. And make sure to follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Forever Dog Team to keep up with all the latest Forever Dog news. Also, you can follow this podcast at Just Between Us Pod on TikTok and at JBU Podcast on Instagram. Also, I'm on Instagram now at Gabe S. Dunn. And I'm on Instagram and Twitter at Allison Raskin. And on TikTok at, at Allison Raskin Baby. And I'm on TikTok as Dabby Gun. So branding's going really well over here. Yeah, good luck finding us. Forever. Yeah.